Rabbits expert hardware and furniture Clara. Open Monday to Saturday with everything household, homeware, and DIY all under one roof. Furniture, including beds, sofas, tables, chairs, and occasional furniture. Plus, paint, wallpaper, electrical, garden essentials, and loads more. Call into Lionel Andy Dell. Call 05793 31189. Find us on Facebook or go to experthardware.ie and type in Clara to find us today. Rabbits expert hardware and furniture store, Oratory Row, Clara. Broadcasting live from the little town of Clara County Offaly, it's What's the Story with Lloyd Bracken. Get in touch today through all our social channels and have your say. Oh, and thanks for listening. Now it's over to you, Lloyd. What's the story? I think Pat sets realistic targets, but high targets. You know, he, he's always wanting to better himself and he's trying to bring the team along with that mentality as well. And he really gets everyone to buy into what he's trying to do. And we've all bought into it. And I'm sure all the Westmead lads did and I'm sure all the Sligo lads did as well. And he's, you know, he's a good man manager. He's able to have a word with everyone. But he's always setting his targets high and he's trying to get lads to the level to achieve them. Hey everyone, you're very welcome back again to What's the Story. Hope you're having a good week. Nice to see some of the school kids back this week after months of being at home. So some happy kids and uh, some very happy parents too, I believe. Uh, great feedback to Clara Expat Show last week. They're always very popular indeed, and thanks to everybody who took part in that. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, or indeed maybe you have a podcast suggestion, maybe you'd like to hear somebody, hear me interview somebody, you can do so through the Little Town Media Facebook page. And as I said before, if there's anyone out there who's not on social media and you think would like some of the podcasts, I'll happily supply a CD for them uh, free of charge. Right, where to this week? My next guest has given a huge part of his life to GEA as a player, coach and as a manager. He has played almost every grade of hurling and football and has had tremendous success over the years. He's here to tell me about that and so much more indeed. Pat Flanagan, thanks very much for joining me on the show. It's a pleasure, Lydon. Thanks for having me on it. I could have introduced you there as Pat Muscles Flanagan there, couldn't I? Yeah, you're taking it back a bit, uh, <laughs> a good few years now when I was called that uh, a long, long time ago in school. and That's not a bad nickname to be started <laughs> off with, is it? <laughs> I don't think it was anything got to do with the muscle, though. I think it was the size more so than the muscle. <laughs> Pat, I must say, a belated happy birthday to you. You had a, you had a big birthday during lockdown. What was yeah, that like? Yes, look, I, I suppose it's, uh, I reached my, my, my 60. It was a milestone. Obviously, it would have been nice to have many friends around and family but uh, unfortunately we could only have uh, you know the three sons and, and the two girls up and uh, Linda and, and Mary and so we had a, a small little bit of a a barbecue believe it or not on the 26th of January when it was snowing outside and I was out cooking that's what I was doing for my birthday <laughs> <laughs> Well look I said I'm delighted to have you on I always get a little bit nervous because having a sporting person on like yourself me and GEA never really got on it's a long story I had a very short GEA career but before we talk sport Pat I'd like to get to know the, the non-sporting Pat Flanagan a bit can you tell me a bit more where you grew up and I know your your, your mum and dad were from Westmead uh, Peter and Mary so can you give us some of your memories from then Yes look I was um, brought up in Marion Square my mother and father and all my family were from Westmead um, 
So we were, were known as blow-ins for a while. So I was the only one who was actually born in Offaly. And I lived in Marion Square, 26 Marion Square there beside uh, the Hogan's, uh, Jimmy and Pat Hogan was there and Audrey and all the Hogan's and, and the Flemings beside us and the Cavanaugh's and... You know, it, it was absolutely brilliant time. Like, you know, we had, uh, everybody looked after everybody else. There was eight of us in family, so I was the youngest. There was eight in the three-bedroom house, plus my mother and father, so that was ten. So, uh, you know, we didn't have a whole pile, but at the same time we had everything. A great house to be part of. My mother and father, obviously, in my opinion, were the best ever. Uh, and they really knew how to look after us. Pamper, I, I was the youngest, as I said, so I was spoiled really, really badly, like, you know, so... Um, but the whole environment there in Marion Square was absolutely excellent. Like, you know, we used to play football and hurling out on the pitch. Um, the Rickards down at the end of the road, Sean and Vinny, God be with him. You know, you had Vinnie Rickard over the far side in High Tullamore and you had the, the Stanleys. And, you know, it was a great time, a great area. And as I said to you, like, you know, all the mothers then looked after everybody else. Uh, so you never really wanted for anything, like, you know. So if, if you were doing anything wrong... You got a clip from somebody else's mother, but you didn't go back and say it because you get, you get another clip then, so you would. Do you think, was that a, a sign of the times back then, Pat, that everyone looked after each other? Do you think there, that kind of sense of, of life has gone a little bit now? I think it has changed, but like, you know, everything evolves. Um, I think we've lost much of that, to be totally honest with you. But having said that, you know, when you look back then, you know, all of those people were, were great friends themselves. Like, you know what I mean? The doors were never closed at night time. You know, people wandered into houses. They had to chat. They sat down. There was time for each other. I think what's happened now is that maybe because of uh, the pace of life, uh, there isn't that time for each other. And, you know, people aren't allowed to to give that opportunity of, you know, their company to one another anymore. Okay, Frank Fury put it in a, in a great way, actually. He said Marion Square was like centre parks. Did you get a sense of that? There was just so much to do with the pond and all this kind of oh, thing. I should look at it. Absolutely. Like, you know, as I said to you, there was, there was um, the GA pitch was right beside us. We had a river running down behind us. Uh, we had a pond just down the road from us. We had Good Buddies uh, factory there. And one of the big things that I remember for being a young boy was... was um, you know, getting dressed up for the, the canteen party, the Christmas canteen party and, and uh, the memories that it brought back to me when I started thinking about this, like, you know, um, you know, it was one thing that coming towards Christmas, you always knew you were going to get a new rig out. Uh, and as I said to you, when there was eight in the family, you didn't always have a new rig out every week. But like, you know, back then, that's what was happening. You got new shoes, you got new trousers, you got new jumper. You had to have a jumper, of course, in a short, like, you know, and, <laughs> and then you were all dolled up and toddling down to this party and, uh, you know, it was great fun. But the Christmas party, it was the golden ticket, wasn't it? Because I remember going to the Christmas party myself many moons ago and it was something you looked forward to from when it ended until the time it came around the following year because you met Santa and it was a disco and that. What were your memories from that, Pat? It was so real. Um, you know, it was actually, it meant so much. There was something um, structured about it within your life. As you say, you know, you were looking forward to it so much. You know, back then, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't so much available. Like, you know, you'd one channel on the TV. Um, you know, there was no games like they have in modern times. So you, you either played football or, as we used to play back then, Cowboys and Indians, like, you know, and, and uh, we used to spend hours and hours playing Cowboys and Indians. Start at 11 o'clock in the morning, you wouldn't finish at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> no one got shot then. Nobody got shot, but a, but a brother of mine, Jerry, uh, tied up my sister, Eileen, one time and locked her in the shed and... and, and not alone that, but put a gag into her mouth and she was there for about three hours. But <laughs> it didn't help. Pat, do you still have family around? Oh, absolutely. Thank God. Uh, apart from my, my, my mother and father, um, 
they're all they're all at home in well all but uh, Jerry and Mary. The rest of them are in Clara. Jerry is down in Cashel in in uh, Tipperary, and Mary's uh, married to Frank Riley in Tullamore. Jerry's with down in Ki- with with Kitty down there in in, in Tipperary, and, her, and their son Kelvin actually played soccer for for Cork City. Fantastic. Yeah, he's a serious footballer in his time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Course, Pat, yeah. you were a good soccer player too, but we'll hit that <laughs> a little later on. Pat, take me on a journey then from your young fella growing up in Marion Square. What was it like heading off down to school in the morning? And maybe you might have met some of the factory workers along the way. Well, it was always a buzz there, like, you know, because, you know, back there in, in when you came up and grew up in Marion Square, there was obviously hundreds of people working in the factory. My father used to drive buses there, so I used to go to Kilbegan and Moat and... Pulla, Ballycomber, um, Tullamore, used to go all around the place and uh, bring in workers into, into Good Buddies. And it was, there was such a buzz and such an environment back then, like, you know what I mean? There was always company on that road walking down the street, like, you know, but you never, like as of now, you, you never got a lift back then. Like, you know, you walked to school, you walked home, you sometimes ran back down for training after school and ran home. It was a time of, of, of just pure happiness because as I said to you there wasn't the material things that you have now um, so it, it, it was all personalised OK so the school wasn't so much a traffic jam like it is now <laughs> no <laughs> no absolutely not no 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 the school the school never was that like you know what I mean and, and uh, again like you know there was the, the school was, was, was you know you had your brother Marcellus there was absolutely excellent like you know brother Plastas used to he was the guy that just uh, teaches how to play football from initially like you know what I mean and obviously the poor man uh, passed away abroad like you know it's, it's it brought back great memories like you know and you, you met huge friends back then and you know you used to walk down to school you'd have a hurl in one hand a bag in the other hand and and uh, you know, probably a ball somewhere attached to you as well, like, you know, so it was who always... You, who would you be walking to school with, Pat? Well, basically, like, you know, you had, you know, the likes of, as I said to you, Pat Hogan was beside me, Eamon Flemming, Terence Kavanagh, uh, all the Divines there, like, you know what I mean? They were all around my age, so, you know, we always used to, to, to head off to, to, together, like, you know, and the Rickards down in the bottom corner as well. Of course, the Brackens, uh, Sandra, who is uh, my wife's best friend, Bit of an adventure going to school, uh, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, you had a day's work done before you actually got to school. <laughs> well, what was school like for Pat Flanagan? I suppose, to be being totally honest, when I look back, I wasn't the brightest student, like, you know, but having said that, um, I was able to kind of cope uh, with, with all that was true with me. I live for the football at the breaks. I tried to do the best I can. I came home and, I suppose, kind of encouraged by my parents to study as much as possible even though it was only national school, but at the same time you were encouraged to do that. The, the big thing about school back then was, you know, when you when you left Marion Square was was meeting other people and again, you know, growing up and, and learning how to start living. That was really, really um, beneficial back then. You said you kind of struggled in school. Was the sport a little bit of an out for you then? Was that the kind of way to keep you there? Well, I'm not saying a struggle, like, you know, and I, I have had and still have a bit of an issue with spelling. So, um that was always kind of a, a big problem for me, like, you know, and I, I do remember back in school um, standing up to read one day. I was asked to stand up and read and I didn't know one word. And I suppose there was a big laugh in the class. And, and you know, I can identify now why I have such issues. We say I had such issues standing up in front of uh, crowds of people to speak. It was only a simple thing, but like, you know, at the same time, it, it kind of um, affected me a bit. Like, and for someone like that to come from, you know, a little bit of slagging, which can affect a lot of people, you know, even when, from when they're young, 
to then go to speaking with RTE and TG Cahar and obviously managing football teams and speaking to lots of different media, that's a big leap, isn't it? It's a huge leap, like, like there's no point in saying any different, like, you know, and I suppose some people would say I wouldn't have the right to do it, like, you know, if it come from where I did come from. And it's because genuinely, I was so weak back then that I wouldn't stand up in front of a crowd to speak at all because of because of what happened. It did take a good bit of... Um, self-encouragement to get over it but you know, I suppose the one thing that I can identify with is that I never give up and I keep going and I keep trying and, and I found a means and a way of, of of getting over it and to be totally honest with you, a number of years ago I wouldn't have admitted this but like you know um, now I realise that there is so much development and learning and there's so much responsibility on on everybody that's in a teaching capacity to ensure that uh, people are um, people's welfare are looked after. Pat, did you go to secondary school then? I did, yes. I went over to uh, secondary school and I suppose there you met up the likes of Brother Charles and Brother Sylvester and all these guys. Brother Charles is an absolutely fabulous man and still is a fabulous yeah, man. Like, great you know, asset to the town. Absolutely yeah. hugely. You know, when you think about it, like, you know, what he brought to, you know, everybody's lives, I'm not sure that they, 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 they accepted or understood it at the time. I certainly didn't. Like, you know, the same with Brother Sylvester. Like, you know, he probably took me under his wing and, and you know, he was probably a massive influence on, on my football career, to be totally honest with you. Like, again, like, you know, there's great development there, like, you know what I mean? And, and without those people, you certainly wouldn't be the person that you are now. Do you think, Pat, with the wisdom of age, you kind of appreciate these things a little bit more? I think the biggest learning that I found light is that you don't understand back then. Like, you know, you the older you get, you realise and you have an understanding of who you are, what you're about yourself. You know, when you're growing up, you know, you've got an awful lot of image issues uh, and you're worried about yourself and what you might be saying wrong or doing wrong or looking not looking right. When you look back and, and look at the work that all of those people done for you, it, it's just absolutely fabulous. Like, and you couldn't thank them half enough. Pat, talk to me a little bit about your working life. You started off as an apprentice fitter, I believe. Yes, I started off with a, as an apprentice fitter. I applied for a job in Good Buddies, but I didn't get it. But I was put onto a course not long for a year. And then I actually came back and I served the rest of my time down in, in Bopa. And I remember going down to Atlone for the year, I, I got a Honda 50. <laughs> and I used to be heading off in this Honda 50 every morning down to Atlone and back up. And That was, was a slow enough spin. <laughs> it was strange. Like there was, a, there was another person I used to meet in a Honda 50 used to, to join me coming in from the Burr Road. And my knuckles would be actually blue trying to get this extra mile out to see could I pass that. The, the, the other Honda 50, of course, never happened. Like, you know, but it was, uh, it was amazing, yeah. So what was your time in that loan like, Pat? Was that something you look back on? with a bit of a, another learning curve, but was, a, was there a bit of enjoyment there as well? That was completely changed, yeah. Complete change from what you had in school. Like, you know, as I said to you, you were in a, a very secure environment in school, but like, you know, you had to develop much quicker when you went down to that sort of a situation where you became an apprentice, like, you know, with guys from all over the country, like, you know, it was guys from Galway and Kerry and everywhere, like, you know, so your mind was being opened up to, to, to different uh, areas of the country and, and the traditions and, and values that those people brought with them as well, like, you know, and you have to you know, adapt and make sure that uh, you, you were surviving within that group as well. So a little right to passage there down that lawn on the Honda 50 with learning with all these other guys from different places, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. And where did you go to there from then then? What was your first paying job then? Well, basically what happened then was, I, I as I said to you, I, I finished up in, in Athlone and came back to Bopin. I served my time up there at Bopin. Joe Stones was, was a big part of it. Joe was a, a fitter there and Gilby Hogan was there at the time. Bopin was a great spot to be, like, you know what I mean? There was a... Uh, 
a, a huge capacity to uh, slag one another, and you certainly grew up very, very quickly up about there. You, there. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly grew up uh, very, very quickly up there, like you know. And, and uh, but it was a great, a great place to be. It was a very fun place to be by times, like you know what I mean. So when I finished there, then I actually went into Burlington in in Tullamore. And a guy called Mickey Bryan, he's, he was an electrician, uh, lives up in Church, Church Street up there. He was hugely responsible in getting me involved in Tullamore in, in, in there at the time. I went in there as a, as a fitter and I was there for the best part of 17 years. That was a huge industry, Burlington, wasn't it? <laughs> Lots of Clara guys working in there and everything. Huge amount of Clara guys working in there, absolutely a massive amount. Um, Jeremy Good, Jim Fallon. Oh, I could go on, like, you know, but a huge employer and a great employer, like, you know what I mean? And um, a very, very good paying job, to be totally honest, like, you know what I mean? It was an American company and, uh, you know, it gave a, a huge lifestyle to to a lot of people. Did the downsize then after 18 years, Pat, was there a redundancy then? Yes, basically what happened was there was a takeover um, in America and an American company tried to take take over uh, Atlantic Mills or Burlington, as, as it was known initially. And uh, eventually what happened was the, the place in, in Longford, I had a place in Longford and had one in, in uh, Tralee and had one in Tullamore and they all eventually um, closed. So how did Pat Flanagan cope with that? Yes, what i done was basically I went to uh, a few interviews, which uh, again, I don't know whether it was this thing that was in school came back up again, but I had this bit of an inferiority complex. I made this decision that I was going to start my own business. So I started off my Flanagan engineering over in the Mill Corner and I worked there for, for three years. My brother Martin was there and Jim Gibbons was with me as well. I was renting off uh, poor Pat Weir uh, and sadly Pat passed away very suddenly. His wife then said to that, you know, she was selling the place and obviously, like, you know, there was nowhere in Clarence to find the premises. And to be honest, like, you know, I'm not sure uh, I was cut out for that business at the particular time, although I'd done a lot of homework on that. Um, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, you had Cochrane Engineering in Tullamore, who was a massive big company, and it was very, very difficult to compete against the likes of that. And the Stones is there now, so fair play to him. And he's made a, you know, a good hand of it, and it's, it's going very well. I was speaking to him recently, like, you know, and it's great to hear that it's going, like, you know, because Andy used to come in and, and do some work for me as well, like, you know, and he's a lovely lad. And it's great to see, you know, one of your own succeeding. What do you do now, Pat? Well, strangely enough, uh, Lloyd, what happened, I was actually involved with Quebecan at the time, Quebecan football team, and I went over to Dermot Smith to get some timber. He just said to me, I see that Banagore favourites to beat us next Sunday. He said, it's in the Westmead Examiner. So I bought a Westmead Examiner. I never bought a Westmead Examiner before. And it was a small advertisement looking for an instructor for a part-time basis for three months down in Mullingar Community Training Centre, working with early school leavers. And I just said to Linda, maybe if I got this, it'll tie us over. We might be able to get a premises. So that's what happened. I went down and I applied for the job. I got the job down there. And that was uh, October 18, 2000. And I was went in on a three-month contract. And I'm there because of 21 years. still there. Absolutely. And to be honest, it completely and totally changed my life. Like, you know, there's no point in saying any different. Um, I didn't think I'd have any chance of getting it because I didn't do a leaving cert. And it was something that I carried with myself for a long time that, you know, I was kind of embarrassed to say that I didn't do a leaving cert. I went and done an apprenticeship instead. So I went for this job, but um, the person that interviewed me rang me the next day and asked me to start. She asked me to start on the Monday, but it was the day after county final I was involved with Kilbegan <laughs> and we won the county final, so I told her I was too busy. <laughs> so it was it was actually Thursday by the time I started. <laughs> so what's it like? You're now working with uh, early school leavers and maybe underprivileged kids, would that be fair to say? It's safe enough to say. Um, a rewarding job? Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, and I would always say that 
I will learn more of them than I will ever teach them. It's been an eye opener. Like you know, I've come across you know a lot of issues, but like I've come across a lot of young people who are uh, absolute gentlemen and ladies. There's no point in saying any different. Who probably didn't get the opportunities uh, that they deserved earlier on, and it's absolutely fantastic to see many of those going on to be you know electricians, plumbers, carpenters. Um, you know, people that didn't come out of the rooms for six months wouldn't step outside the door and you see them going off onto an apprenticeship and then hearing that they're completing their apprenticeship. It's uh, it's really rewarding. So to start at this job, Pat, for three months, now you're there 20 years. Did you finally realise that maybe this is this was your calling? I think I've realised that, um, you know, my strengths are in working with people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing when you look back and what you could have been back years ago when I went to Art School, Kieran, Joan Grogan, Spent about two hours one day trying to convince me to stay on and go on for teaching. Of course, I did. I knew it all at that stage. Like you know what I mean. I wanted to be a fitter, so I seen Seamus Dignam, Lord, be good to him. Uh, PJ Cushion, Lord, be good to him. And then Mike and McKeown, they were all, you know, married to my sisters, and they were fitters and carpenters. So this is what I wanted to be in my own head. Like you know, they were making the money. They were making the money, but like you know <laughs> what I mean. I could see what they were doing, and it kind of set up, you know, my vision of where I wanted to be. But you know, the more I see it now. You know, I probably would have been better off to listen to Joan and and and, and uh, go the other route. Like you know, an amazing thing about it as well, like is that when um, Pat Weir passed away, the, the summer before that, I was in holidays and I was on a beach and I turned around to Lynn and I said, "I'm going to do something completely different in my life." And that was 1999 that I was on holidays. Uh, so I actually went to see Joan Grogan again wow. and asked her about you know what was that like? What was that meeting like back after? Oh, stop it! She she did she, she say I told you so? Pat? <laughs> she absolutely <laughs> stared and said to me, "Look, at I told you." I told you back years ago and I spoke to her about actually going back and doing the leaving cert you know Joan Grogan said to me look at um, you know sign up and do the leaving cert if you wish she said you know take on two or three subjects so I actually went into the morning and signed up to take on maths English and um, I think it was engineering at the time and about two weeks after I got this job okay. and I said it to the I said it to uh, the lady that interviewed me I said look at I'm going to be honest with you I haven't got a leaving cert I was going to go and she said that doesn't matter she said, we can train you. So what happened then is I, I started off in, in Mullingar and um, I went on and I did a, a degree in training and education, kept moving on, doing different courses. And, 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 and as I said to you, going back to your point, there is a, a different route. Yeah, and it's great to hear that. And if there is young people listening, there is different avenues to take. And, you know, not necessarily the leaving cert might be the way to go, but there is always different chances in that, you know. So that's good to take from that story. But look, I'll say to you, you know, especially in the present environment, like, you know, there's so much opportunity for people to, to change and alter. And, you know, and you should always be prepared to be able to, you know, just, you know, move from... Whatever direction you're going, if you're not happy in, because there's certainly uh, plenty of other areas now. Pat, where did you meet the lovely Linda Rock? Where did I meet the lovely Linda Rock? Um, I was told exactly what not to say on this one, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there. I, I suppose, look, at it, I met Linda in the youth club, um, you know, many, many years ago. We were only kids at the time. I suppose uh, we got to know each other. Initially, Linda didn't want to have anything got to do with me because of my frog's eyes, as she used to call them. <laughs> But uh, eventually, I, I kept. I wouldn't give up, so and I kept an, going. Another stigma to carry. Then. <laughs> Thanks, Linda. I, I I kept going, and and uh, I eventually broke her down. But um, yeah, look, as I said to you, it's it's um, that's been a massive journey for me as well. Like you know, and um, obviously, like you know, she's a brilliant person. Like you know what I mean, and and. Uh, 
a brilliant mother. But going back all those years, um, as I said to you, you know, I was 13 at the time. Linda was 14. And we've been together ever since. That's unbelievable. Um, 13? I was 13 years of age, yes. Wow. And we've been together ever since, yeah. And you got married in 1981 then. You were just young. You were young kids getting married. We're only kids. Um, you know, when we look back at it, it's one thing we often talk about and we often wonder, like, you know, should we have done something different? When we see the young people now that they head off and they take, a, take a year out or two years out or whatever, like, you know, and, and then come back and get married, you know. We got married at 20. and, and But again, back then... Let's be totally honest, like you didn't do a whole pile of travel. That like, was the know. done thing. That was probably it. Probably like, a lot know. of people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, most of my most of my schoolmates would have got married in their in their early twenties, like you know. You mentioned the U Club, Pat, and I watched a brilliant documentary only recently, in fact, about the U Club and yourself and Linda were on it. Some seemed like brilliant times. No stone unturned. There was drama, badminton, every you name it. It must have been something brilliant to be a part of. Again, again, when you look back, like it's 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 amazing. It was amazing. Um, and again, at the time, you probably didn't appreciate it. You know, you went down there; everything was set up for you. You know, and you walked in and you played your volleyball, your basketball, your badminton, your football. You had um, a room of music in it. There was drama going on. There was everything and anything going on. You met various types of people that brought their own image to what they wanted life to be and you got to know that type of thing and you learned so much from that as well like you know but you never thought about the fact that brother Charles was there and Sean Tracy and John Knock or John Roach all of those people that were in there and all the work that they were doing behind the scenes to make sure that this happened like you know and I say, Brother Charles, the amount of work that he did was just phenomenal, like, you know. Yeah, Brother Charles was a credit to the town. Really nice man, taught me as well, actually, and uh, lovely man, and still is, still very supportive. He was, but you wouldn't want to have trained on him, like, we we, we actually were training for an All-Ireland final one time. All right, different story. And we actually trained in the school hall, believe it or not, that was the only hall we had at the time, there was something going on in the star. I tell you, um, he put you through your paces, and... (laughs) You know, he wasn't the quite demeanour at the time when he was when he was putting you through your paces that you see now. But there was a trophy on offer then. <laughs> That's it, yeah. He made sure that you were going like he, you know, if I remember, I think poor Brother Charles was was was, was a, a redhead, so like, you know, it wasn't, that came out by time still, let me tell you. <laughs> of course, I must mention uh, Linda's daddy, Jerry Rock, a great musician, a gentleman, and uh, her mother Mary, but uh, you would have met it back uh, from training in Sligo, I believe, Pat, to head into Whites on a Friday night. Yes, look, um, you know, what can you say about Jerry? Like, you know, he was just he was an icon. He was just totally um, unbelievable as far as music was concerned. And, you know, he, he touched so many people's heart. And I would have travelled from a very young age all around the country listening to, to Jerry and and to the likes of Paddy Horn and, and uh, your father and all those guys that used to play with him. Um, Trevor Kevin is another one. But Whites was a different scenario. Like, you know, when all of the uh, musicians decided to come together on a Friday night, it was an amazing time. And Jerry wasn't well at the time. And I was involved in, in Sligo, and I suppose by my, uh, from my house up to training in Sligo was 100 mile and 100 mile back. Um, so, But I wanted to be there on the Friday night to make sure um, I was giving Linda support uh, because, you know, she was an only child um, and she knew that her father wasn't well. And, um, you know, I wanted to be there and as often as I possibly could. And, you know, there was times I actually saw Jerry, he would be attempting to play the trumpet down in his own house on a Friday afternoon and wouldn't be able to do it. Just getting ready for the Friday night trainer. And he wouldn't be able to do it when he was when he wasn't well like. And still he'd go down every Friday night and I don't know how he managed it, but the music came out of the trumpet. As you'd imagine that there wasn't a thing wrong with the man. It was just phenomenal and you know, it just I, I 
it was it amazed me the strength and character he showed um, and his love for music and it was the music that kept him alive as long as it did and he kept people's lives alive a lot longer because of, of who he was and what he did. I'll just take a little small piece of audio um, from Jerry Rock. The little town of Clara I'm longing for to see For there's not a spot in Ireland That's half so dear to me I recall the years I lived there Sure I never wore a frown Happy were my boyhood days On the streets of Claritown Great magic made down there on a Friday night, wasn't there? I used was, to enjoy it myself. It was absolutely fabulous, like, you know, and as I said, he had all the musicians coming in from, from Clara, um, then the different types of music. I often thought to myself, if you had a competition among all the musicians down there some night, you know, sure, you'd make television out of it. It was absolutely <laughs> unreal, like, you know, and it shows the talent that's in the, that's in the town itself, like, you know. Patch of three sons are on now. Three sons, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that I would like to think, anyway, that uh, they're three my, my three best friends. To be totally honest, yeah. Um, I was, as I say, young. I was twenty, getting married. Peter was born when we were twenty four, and uh, was that some introduction to life? Christ Almighty, he he, uh, he, he suffered from colleague and and uh, all our land of God. I've been he, there <laughs> for the, f- the first year was was. Uh, that's a, a little difficult. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. That's a bit, that's a, that's an eye opener now. That's a that's a small way of putting it. Yeah, that's that's that, that was our uh, introduction to parenthood, and uh, you know when Colin and Wayne came on, it was it was kind of easy after that, like you know. But uh, Peter never slept, and he still doesn't sleep. Like three or four hours a night does him, like you know, and that was the case back then when he was a child. You'd imagine that he would even sleep during the day, but it wasn't the case. Well, like I'll now. tell you what we do. We'll ha- we'll have a little listen to Peter now. Oh, now he's not crying on this. <laughs> Highlight Peter Flanagan here. Love the show. Um, as regards dad, what can I say? Best father, best friend to me and the boys. We never wanted for anything. You know, he was always there for us. He's a real family man. I think he's at his happiest when we're all together, whether that be a meal or maybe a night out or, you know, even even just going to a match, which 80% of the year probably would be what we normally do would be tip off the football matches because as I think everyone at this stage knows he's a, he's a big football man and what he's achieved in that sector is, is in my eyes it's phenomenal it's it's, it's a credit to him I'd, I'd love if anyone could dig up the stats and how many managers have actually won three senior championships in three different counties which is it's a massive achievement and uh, he deserves everything he gets because no matter what he puts his mind to it's 110% he gives it. There's no no stone unturned when, when something is, is taken on. It's it's full on. And, and as I said, I've been lucky enough to be part of that. I was part of his first managerial one at, with Clara a couple of years back. You know, and I've worked with him ever since in the county scene and the backroom team and stuff. So I've been lucky to share that a lot of that journey with him. And it was a pleasure to be to be there beside him and, and, and give, him, give him the help he needed. Look, I can't speak highly enough about him. It's, as I said, a dad, friend, I don't know which way you put it, but he's both. So I wish him all the luck in the future with what he takes on. And as I said, I hope, I hope with many years of fun times ahead. Listen, thanks, Lloyd. Talk to you later. 
Next words there from your son, Peter. Oh, look, um, it's just amazing. And I said to you, like, you know, he summed it up in one, like, you know, friend, they do know that I, I hold up her hand if they ever need a clip still, like, you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> I know, all joking aside, it's been brilliant. Like, you know, the one thing about it is that, you know, since right through their teen years, you know, we've always been part of their life. You know, you hear about this idea that teenagers does this, that and the other. That has never been the case with the three boys. They've always been, you know, you've always been accepted. And I think that's a massive big thing in anybody's life, you know. And, and uh, you know, I know it's a massive pleasure for me and for Linda, but I can only speak for myself in, in this regard. It's, it's a massive pleasure to have three sons and, you know, to be so proud uh, of, of who they are, what they are and what, the, what their values are. But there's not too many sons that are stood on the sideline with their father as manager of a team, is there? No, look, as I say to you, um, the boys have always been, and, you know, and I, I sometimes have often looked and I've sometimes actually said it to them, like, you know, have they ever lost out because of the fact that I've been so much heavily involved in football? And they would say the opposite, have learnt a lot. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's such a privilege, like, you know, and it's amazing, like, you go to different counties and, and the boys are, are there in some regard and, and they, they actually, um, not, they don't question it. They question the fact that, how is this happening to a point like you know that your sons are actually with you you know and um, you know that to me is is a personal achievement as as far as I'm concerned to you know to have the opportunity of of, of, of um, my family being part of what I do you touched on something there that you know did you ever maybe did the boys miss out or that I was going to ask you that is it hard on a family when you're managing teams take it for instance you're heading up to Sligo and all that sort of stuff I mean it must be hard in some respects you're going to miss things and that but that's just the nature of the beast with the football but again as I said to you I've often spoke to him I spoke to them about this I spoke to Linda obviously about it as well like you know um, from a point of view is that you know you take it like you know four times in Sligo a week so you're leaving at, at five o'clock in the afternoon you're home at possibly one two o'clock in the morning some mornings um, obviously the Friday night you're, 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 you're probably travelling a bit harder to get home early but that was four times a week, like, you know, and it does, it does, um, you know, have, it has to have some effect, but never at any stage has any one of them ever, ever said anything that made me think that, you know, it was affecting them in a, in a negative manner. And as I said to you, every opportunity they had, even when the kids came along, their own kids came along, they have been part of it, like, you know, and I'd like to think that, you know, they, they've got some, some good out of it and have learned something from it, um, uh, but they're tra- three great lads, like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm so proud to, um, to call them my sons. What's grandfather Pat Flanagan like? Absolutely brilliant. There's no two <laughs> ways about it. It's a good old crack to be wrong, Pat. Ah, stop. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stop. Look, it's, it's you know, I, I, I didn't have the privilege of having a grandmother or grandfather. Um, as I say, I was the youngest of the family and, and my uh, my grandparents had passed. Peter is in a relationship with Donna, Donna Monaghan, and Donna had a son, Cameron, and then... Uh, Kai was born then it just seemed to floodgates opened up and about you know the four other kids came along yeah. uh, Ryan and Pat and Ellen and Aurora and Kalia and um, it's it's uh, it's a different it's a different scenario than your own family obviously like you know what I mean it's great to be able to go and have fun with them it's great to be able to uh, be part of their lives and you know to get involved with everything they do it gives you um, a sense of, of of life as well it gives you um, a sense of a sense of urgency to make sure that you're in a in a good state and I try to keep myself as fit as a fiddle uh, as much as I possibly can so as I can run around after an eight year old and six year old and don't, don't let them beat me in a football match <laughs> well Patrick but as my age to say I'm not to be fair with the fitness Peter also mentioned there that 
in the audio. You won three county championships in three counties. That's some achievement, Pat. I mean, is there any wins there that stands out in particular? Uh, look, uh, the bottom line is... Um, I'm at Don't be modest now, Pat. Come no, well, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a Claraman. I'll always be a Claraman. Like, you know what I mean? I've, I've ventured out for different reasons because I love challenges. Uh, but, you know, winning uh, the 91 final as a player and then having the privilege to manage the, the team in 2003, like, you know, you can't you, you can't better that. There's no point in saying any different. Uh, it doesn't matter if I won All-Ireland. I don't think I could better um, lifting the Dowling Cup or, or managing my own team. What does it feel like, Pat, for someone like me who never lifted a trophy? <laughs> but to win your county trophy, you know what I mean? It must be just unbelievable. I suppose, like, you know, when you play football all your life, like, you know, if I, if I can take it back to when I was four and five, I used to be out in the GA pitch and to be hurling or there'd be football going on. And I would stay in between the halfway line and the goal in case any balls dropped so as I could poke them into the goal. And I was at five, six, seven, eight. Um, so it was always part of my life. Um, into, in, sorry, in 97, sorry, I think about in 87, uh, I was dropped for a county final and it really cut deep to be totally honest like you know what I mean um, and I was even thinking about packing it in and this that and the other but I'll, I'll never forget my father who was you know just so so brilliant like you know I was walking down the stairs one day and he said do you know Pat all these people is telling you you'll be right to give it up he said um, do you know they're not the ones that's after playing for years and, and who's going to miss it and he never said you should play you shouldn't play but it just flicked the light switch in my head like you know so when it came around to 91 and uh, Ollie Daly was, was managing the team um, and I never forget where I think it was in Gracefield or somewhere no it wasn't Gracefield but somewhere um, and Ollie decided he was going to announce who captain was so he said um, now I'm going to announce captain and uh, the captain doesn't have to be the best player he doesn't have to be the strongest player in the team he doesn't have to be everybody's friend and I was thinking, you know, who's this going to be? And then he said, uh, the captain this year is Pat Flanagan. And I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure whether to jump up in the air with the light or to say, geez. But, anyway. but uh, you know, as, as it transpired, you know, we went on and uh, we won the county final in 91. And that was probably, as far as GA is concerned for me, that was the biggest moment in my life was to, to lift the Dowling Cup. First time to win it in how many years? 27 years, yeah. 27 years. years. You're there with the Dowling Cup in your That's hand. Right, Who's yeah. handing over this trophy? Again, I can't, you know, it was so... Surreal. Uh, it was so surreal at the time. It was just unbelievable, like, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's just a haze. But I, I do remember getting the cup in my hand and just saying to myself, this is, a, this is what it's all about. There was trials, like, I was 30 at the time. And, you know, when you come up in Clara, there was so much talent, uh, underage talent, that, you know, you were kind of expected nearly to finish at 27, 28 type of thing, you know. But uh, we didn't give in. There was a few of us, Tony Geegan, Colm Kane and myself, TJD. And we, we, we came through the grades... Uh, together and there was only three or four of us from teams that won under 14 juvenile minor under 21 there was only three or four of us left when we got to senior like you know so what was uh, the secret then for 91 pal? I suppose the fact that um, we had a very very good team there's no point in saying any different we had a good team Ollie Daly was knew how to manage people um, he knew how to get the best out of you I remember going over playing Port Tarlington in a challenge match and we got beaten by I think it was 12 points or 14 points and uh you know, we came back and Ollie went around and bought everybody a drink. And that was his mentality, like, you know what I mean? Other people would go and absolutely fleece you. But Ollie was able to kind of see 
that's not what you needed at that time, you know. So he brought an awful lot to the fact that we won the championship, like, you know what I mean? Uh, the quality of players that you had on the pitch that time, like, you know, you had, you know, John Moore, um, TJ Deham was absolutely fabulous footballer, like, you know. PJ Cunningham, uh, I used to play beside PJ, I was cornerback. You'd be terrified playing with PJ. Not, you wouldn't mind the opposition, you'd be terrified with, P- with PJ because uh, you didn't know where you were going to get an elbow from. He could be the far side of the pitch and he still managed to hit an elbow in the air. But, um, you know, there, there was fabulous, fabulous players in that team, like, you know. But you were a hard man to mark yourself now, so you can't be you I, can't I, be mean to PJ there now. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I could agree. Like you know, I I, I would always thought myself a, a kind of a purist, like you know, and a, a reactor that um, you know if somebody did something to me, I'd react to it. Like you know, I mean, that's what I tried to say, but I'm not sure I was got away with it. <laughs> did you take any of the qualities that Ollie Daly had into your own managerial career? But again, like, you know, what I've tried to do over the years is learn from, from everybody that I've been involved with. Like, I suppose um, I, I don't shout and roar in the wrestling, not anymore anyway. As I say, it's it's those type of things that you pick up on, uh, the ability of people to mentally uh, alter uh, individuals. Because whether you're a footballer or whether you're an ordinary person in life, I believe personally that there's far, far more in you. And it's just to go to that reservoir and find it and then to learn how to use it. I don't go in to win a championship. I go in to win a Leinster. That's what I'm thinking. And it's not that I'm saying it for the sake of saying it. I honestly believe that it can happen. Now, it may never happen, but I honestly believe personally that I, I can, you know, given half an opportunity with a team, um, that I can achieve that. Um, you know, so... Uh, so I, I, there's a sense of belief then from the minute you take over a county or a... Yeah, do you have to have that sense of belief where you're at not? Well, again, and, you know, I hope the people who listen to this doesn't think that this guy is some sort of a, a lunatic, but, like, I, I honestly believe when I took over Clara in 1991, or sorry, sorry, in 2003 and 2009, I honestly believe we could have won the Leinster Championship. I wasn't talking about winning a club championship. And I try to portray that. When you're constantly using the terminology of, of um, you know, we are good enough, we can win, because a lot of time especially when you're when I grew up in Clara, whether it was because of good bodies or whatever, like, you know, there was this kind of um, mentality, you know, maybe we are good enough, we might be good enough. And for years, like, you know, we we're talking about um, we should be good enough. But like, you know, I think I took from that, you know, you have to be positive. Go back to 91 for a second, because you almost made it. You lost out narrowly in the, the All-Ireland Club Championship. Yeah, Thomas Davis beat us by, by two points. Um, was that sore, Pat? Absolutely, absolutely. And and do you know what's even sore is the fact that, you know, I came back to Clara and there was hundreds of people and they all welcomed us and, and applauded us up the street and I felt so embarrassed at that time because I felt that I personally I had let them down. I know I had a very poor game myself on that day and um, I, I just felt that we had personally left let them the, the, the people of Clara down. Would you and take it to that level, Pat, in yourself? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And more, like, absolutely more than that. Like, you know, people would criticise, obviously, when you're management, in particular, people criticise you. Uh, but no one can ever criticise me enough because, you know, I evaluate everything I do to define as T to make sure that, you know, I'm trying to get better every time. But are, like, Are you a perfectionist, Pat? No, I wouldn't say perfectionist. I don't think there's such a term as per- perfectionist, but I always try to uh, try to be better and be the best I possibly can. Um, but, you know, we made a comment or I made a comment in, in 91 on a stage that, you know, we would be back like, next year and we got beaten in the first round of the championship next year. And like 
that that to me that that's the one part that really riles me. Like you know that we didn't push on from that and and, and go further. You know, Pat, I have in front of me here a list of names. It's the all-time Clara team, uh, senior team that has been picked uh, during the last lockdown. Of course, this lockdown that has never ended. Uh, Kevin Meehan and goal yourself, Ollie Minnock, William Flynn, Derek Coyne, Aidan Stewart, Porrick Morn, Peter Nolan, James Stewart, David Reynolds, Scott Brady, Jimmy Dunn, John Reynolds, T.J. Dehan, and Thomas Dehan all make the team. But Pat, a little challenge for you now. No subs were picked for this team. This was my thing. You need subs on a team. <laughs> so do you think, looking at this, there's obviously lads who missed out. You know, for me, maybe Mark Daly, Alan Cronin. But Pat's Flanagan's pick, who would you pick for the subs in this team? <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know, to be honest, like, it, 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 it was a brilliant uh, undertaking at the time. Like, you know, but yeah. I suppose the people that were voting on this and, and writing in maybe didn't see the older players. Like the likes of yeah. Peter too, he was absolutely phenomenal. Now, I... I played with Peter up in up in Dundalk for playing a tournament, but he was he was excellent on the day. Like, you know with the best mean? of them, like Peter Tudie, like you know what I mean. And as I said, you you know Benny Roach, all those guys back years ago. You know, maybe modern, you know, in modern day, people didn't think about the likes of them. But um, as I said, yeah, Mick Sheridan himself, who has served the, the GEA so so well, like you know, was a good footballer also, like you know, and Ricey Scully, Ricey, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, Ricey should be on the team. There's no point in saying any different, like you know what I mean. Uh, Joe McGrath up there, heard so much about Joe McGrath. Uh, I suppose bringing it back to modern times, then, like you know, you have to me the best player that I played with um, because I learned so much from him was Vinnie Henry. He was absolutely excellent, like you know what I mean. Vinnie used to say to me, "I'd be playing maybe wing back, and Vinnie be playing midfield." And he said, "Well, you just cover me." <laughs> and like ninety nine times over hundred, Vinnie would wind up with a football, and I'd be wondering how in the name of God did he get that? But you know, he was an excellent footballer. Um, I suppose John Moran was another one. Um, like in John Moran's prime, he was just unbelievable. His left foot was just magic. His ability to be where the ball arrived was just magic. His ability to take on scores from unbelievable angles was huge. Like, you know what I mean? He's another one that certainly would be there. Mark Daly, without a doubt, like, you know, was instrumental in us winning the championship in, in 2003. Like, you know, he was absolutely fabulous player. Uh, PJ Cunningham is another one. Solid player. And as I said to you, like, you know, he would never back down from anything. That's one guarantee. Mm-hmm. Colm Kay and Tony Egan, two guys that I came up the grades when we played indoor football and so many uh, good years playing indoor football together down there when tournaments were massive down in, in the GA Centre. Absolutely huge. So two, you can actually make another two or three teams though, that's good now. Well, you're three or four hundred people down in the star and we used to play football. But like, you know, you could absolutely go through this and I can guarantee you, you'd pick three teams at least that would have a and great competition. row at the end of it. After. Well, I guarantee that. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. But tell you what, we're going to hear a little piece of audio from a guy who is on this team, um, Ginger Stewart. Hi Lloyd, uh, first of all congratulations on the podcast series, it's been fascinating to listen, especially in the times we're living in, all looking for something to occupy our minds and it's been a credit to the town and congratulations. On Pat, I know Pat a good number of years, first came in contact with him of course with the club, he was captain of our team in 91, we bridged a 27 year gap and won the county title, he brought us to a Leinster final, brilliant uh, footballer and a fantastic club captain and again we won a title in 93, he was on that team as well. Um, he went on into a very successful career in management with Kilbegan, Terrell's Pass and indeed Westmead, Sligo, who was taught very highly in both those counties, I know that from experience. And with Offaly where I spent three years with him, very good man to be around, very meticulous mind, who is very committed and gives everything 110% of forever changing and growing. And of course he's gone on then to Park Pierce's down in, in Roscommon and won a title. So that's the measure of the man, he does things, he does his right, a lot to be learned from him and I learned a lot from him. And uh, I said I respect him as a teammate, first of all, a colleague in management and as a friend. 
best of luck Pat going forward and best of luck to you Lloyd as well thank you bye bye James Stewart yeah look I really appreciate what James had to say there and you know we did spend three years together with Offaly and um, we used to travel together over to, to, to Welch Island to train every night and back home and we you know became very very good friends and you know James was um, an excellent footballer he, he stands out in this team as midfield like you know with the great Peter Nolan like you know and you know he won a Leinster Championship medal like you know what I mean and he's up there with the best Pat, you've had a huge inter-county managing career with Sligo, Westmeath and indeed Offaly. What's it like managing at club level compared to county level? I suppose the difference in, in managing the likes of a county team compared to a club team, if you walk into a club team, you've got people that know each other. They've grown up together. They've come through the grades together. They know how to play or how to want to play. They know everybody else's faults within the team and they know their own faults. Uh, you go to a county team, you're bringing people in from various different clubs. So you've got to um, combine those people together. Uh, try and find the right mix. I suppose you know one of the things with Offaly was to make sure that um, you know they were united. Um, you know there wasn't. There's always this thing you, you hear about in counties where there's uh, small little groups of players from different clubs and they won't be getting involved with other clubs. I've never found that in any county that I've went to it, and especially Offaly. Like you know, and the one thing that I would admire about the likes of Offaly is that they've really, really, they probably hasn't got the, haven't got the rewards they deserved, but they've really, really put in massive effort. But you do have to be aware of the fact that you know you're you're bringing guys together from various clubs who possibly two weeks before a big match are kicking lumps out of one another and then you bring them back into a dressing room and you have to get yes, the right... People don't see that side. Of it. And you have to try and you have to try and create the right environment that, you know, the, those guys go off and, and, you know, when they're going away, you're telling them to make sure that they're competitive against each other because you need them to be extremely competitive when they come back. Obviously then, you know, there's big expectations when you go to county. Um, you're talking about managing doctors, you're talking about managing physios, um, you're talking about managing inter-county people themselves who have to be involved with the team. So it's not just your couple of selectors and your team that you're managing, you're managing a, a far bigger group of people. What's it like on your first day walking into a county team? You know, say for the likes of Westmead or Sligo, when, you know, no offence, you mightn't have been that well known in Sligo or whatever, what does it take? Are lads looking around saying, right, what's this lad going to do now? <laughs> From someone like me looking in. It's something that I started when I started managing teams like, and it's something that I will continue to the day I die, is that I, I say two things when I walk in. And the first thing I say is that, lads, the bottom line is there's going to be one rule, and that is there's no rules. And everybody then looks Ice at breaker. you. after After, like, you know... <laughs> probably having 40 different rules run down their neck this guy walks in and says there's no rules in a county team or a club team and I said no I said, the bottom line is we treat each other with respect every player here has respect for each other and respect for management and vice versa everything else can be easily worked out and I do think that that in itself is actually thrown back onto the players uh, the onus to take charge of themselves I'm not walking in saying that you have to be a trainer at 8 o'clock or you're going to be suspended or you can't drink or you're going to be suspended or you can't do this and if I to tell people you can't well then you're already struggling basically you know when you walk into the dressing room first of course you're putting on the, the big brave face and the shoulders are back but you're probably sweating <laughs> uh, sweats, beads of sweat rolling down your back so you know there is that side of it and the other thing that I say to them then um, and I've said this in every club like in every county uh, that I've trained that I'm here to win for Pat Flanagan I'm not here to win for you. And again, that that you, you can see the eyebrows going up and the, the, the eyes opening and the shock. And the reason behind that is that when Pat Flanagan comes under pressure, he can't look to anybody else to get out of that pressure. He has to look within. 
And the whole idea would be that in that terminology to those players and what I've said to them, that they're actually looking at themselves to make sure that, you know, they're prepared and ready at every stage whenever their best is needed to perform. It does really break the ice with the players uh, because no matter where you've been, different managers do different things. And I'm not sure there's too many would have walked in and said either of those things initially. But like you've had a lot of success, Pat, with these teams and with every team you've been with, you've won something or brought teams up a division. How would you think of your time in Offaly, for instance? Look, it, it, it was absolutely special. Like, you know, as I said, the after Clara, you know, to manage your own county was something that I probably, to a certain extent, let my heart rule my head because I was in Sligo at the time and things were going exceptionally well and they treated me exceptionally well up there. To leave Sligo to come back to Offaly was a very, very difficult decision. But as I said to you, my heart was just craving to, to, to manage my own county. Again, you know, the players were there. The players are there. I still believe the players are there. I don't want to be critical of anybody. It's not my, my job to criticise after the event. Uh, but maybe things could have been a little bit smoother at the top uh, that would have enabled us to, to go to a different level. When you look back at Offaly, we came out of Division 4 the first year I was involved. And the whole idea is when you're at that level is to get up through the league phases so it'll give you opportunity to play at championship level. The following year, uh, we beat Clare and we beat Longford. When you're playing league football, if you finish on the same points with one other team, the team who wins that match during the year actually goes up. So we wound up beating Clare and beating Longford. But the fact that we all finished on the same amount of points went a score difference and Clare actually went to Division 2. Now, I honestly think that if we had to go to Division 2 that year, we would have made massive inroads because I do think the players are there. I still think the players are there. I still think there's huge ability within Offaly. But it probably just needs a little bit more structure and support. Was it disappointing, Pat, when you finished up with Offaly? It was bitterly disappointing. There's no point in saying any different. I'm... One thing I've always tried to be as far as football and, and my family and, and the young people that I work for is, is being honest and it really cut deep with me. It, it, it affected me a lot at the time because, you know, I was, this would be argued as it was outside of this circle, but, um, you know, we were supposed to have been given two years and when it came down to the point, it was said that I, I'd only be given an extra year. But I suppose the turning point was that um, we didn't beat Westmead in the championship. But, like, you know, you could argue serious different reasons for that but at the end of the day the decision was made that I, I wouldn't be kept on You went back to Clara in the past Pat would you ever go back back return to Offaly <laughs> He's taking a drink of his water <laughs> He's thinking of this one <laughs> Yeah look uh, as I said to you like you know um, I'm a Clara man I always will be a Clara man I'm a proud Clara man um, and I will go as I said earlier my biggest achievement was with Clara uh, lifting that cup and managing Clara is is huge for me. Um, I got involved in 2019. Uh, I did say that I was already committed to another team and that's one thing I wouldn't do was break a commitment. Um, so it didn't work out the way it should have worked out. Would I come back to Clara? Um, it probably would be in other people's hands, but um, I would say certainly not rule it out. I would love to get involved in probably in in, in an operation of, of developing football in Clara over a 10-year period and that's what I thought maybe I was going to get involved in 2019 but it didn't work out like that but um, you know I do think that um, there's massive ability within this town and as I said to you when you look at those sheets of paper the one thing when I look back even through my own playing career I suppose I started playing about 19 senior football and I finished at 36 I think it was we didn't win enough um, and we had the players to do it and, and, and that hurts 
Okay, well, there's a guy here in this next piece of audio. He's laying down a little bit of a gauntlet to you at the end of this clip. So it's uh, Tony Egan. Have a little listen. Uh, the first thing I remember about Pat Finnegan was in national school. He was taller and stronger than most of the lads of our age. And we ended up giving him the nickname Muscles. He was big into his sport like myself. And we were very lucky we were surrounded by lots of other very talented footballers. Lads like Colm Kane, Eddie Fleming, Tommy Cushion, John Moore and Brian Cowan among, and many others. And we had lots of success. We won at National School, we won in the Tech, we won under 14, 18, under 21 with Clara. Eventually then, when we went into adult football, Pat was probably the first of our lads to get a car. He was a very fast driver. I can remember that. And we had lots. We had a few scary moments now going to matches with him. But eventually we got there. And we got there and we ended up playing for Clara for a good few years together. Pat ended up captain and Clara to win the county title in 1991. 30 years almost waiting to win a title. And there was great celebrations in the town. And he was very unlucky not to captain Clara to win the Leinster final that year. And we ended up playing together for another couple of years and we won another title. And when our playing days were ended, we teamed up together along with Mick Sheridan. Pat was the manager. Myself and Mick were selectors. And we helped Clara win a county title in 2003. I think that was a great achievement for Pat. It probably started him out on the managerial road. And he had success then. He went to other clubs and he was very successful with other clubs and other counties. And I think he also trained Clara to another county title a few years later. Eventually he ended up getting into um, inter-county management. And I suppose his big achievement was managing Offaly. Now Offaly wasn't going great at the time, but he'd done a very good job in difficult times. You know, I suppose as a footballer himself, he probably tell you himself he wasn't blessed with the greatest amount of speed. But I can tell you he had plenty of ability. And he was a great man-marker, so much so that every referee in the county knew Pat on a first-name basis. Going forward, I wish Pat the best of luck when he's continued success in his football managerial roundabout. And maybe someday he might get back to Clara and we might team up together and hopefully we could bring success back to Clara. So now, Pat, there's the gauntlet. Yeah, look, I appreciate that, Tony, very, very much. Like you know, and uh, it's um, it's a lovely piece there that you said, and it was great to, in two thousand and three to um, you know to win that championship with uh, Tony by my side because I think we came up through the grades right up through uh, you know national school all the time together. We used to play in national school together with a small handball, and himself, myself, and and Peter Fitzpatrick and Colm Kane used to take on the rest of the class, like you know, and Tony being goal and. It was just phenomenal. Tony was in goal when we played indoor football and won a few indoor football titles. I'm not sure what he meant by the referee knowing. I, I, I didn't realise I was such a nice person. Like, you we'll know have to I mean. ask Catchbook for you. <laughs> to yeah, look, I suppose he's, he's dead right about the slow part, uh, but I never really started from, from the same point as, as the other player. Like, you know, so, uh, but look, um, you know, Tony was a serious footballer. Like, you know, he captained the team in, in, um, in 93. Uh, when we won the championship, um, you know, so it was it was brilliant to see that and to see him th- achieving that. He was absolutely a phenomenal player. This like maybe he judged me from the fact that uh, I'm slow, but he was absolutely super fast. Like you know what I mean? He was he was a really really fast player, and it was it was um, uh, you know he was a great person and a great player. Okay, but you've had lots of success, as we said, with different teams, county teams, and club teams and that so we're just going to take a look back at your some of your early GA successes and we're going to do so with my GA correspondent Parik O'Mara he's been great and also thanks very much to Trevor Kelly in the States who helped me uh, putting this together as well Well Lloyd it's very nice to be on with you here again um, this time we're talking about another a man that has given great service as a player and as a coach to the club over the years uh, Mr Pat Flanagan Pat played every 
grade of hurling and football for the club. But not many people know he was quite a good hurler as well. His career started out in winning ways at under 14 in 1974 to one uh, hurling and football double. Um, the unique thing about this team was they won both finals very convincingly. They won the bet St. Cartridge and the hurling 8-3 to no score and the bet Boran the football 2-21 to no score. He was still under 14 the following year and they won the championship again in Hurland, played St. Cartridge's. He scored six points from the middle of the field and gave an exhibition that day. 1976, he won an under-16 Hurland championship and a minor Hurland championship. Again in 1977, he was under-16 again and he won another championship. In 1978, he was a part of the minor football team who broke a 12-year gap to win the championship. And then in 79, he made his senior football debut. 1980 was a very historic year for Clara. Uh, it was her first ever under-21 championship. The bet Tullamore by 112 to two points in that final. In 1981, Pat played in his first ever senior football final against a very famous Welsh Island team. On that day, they were going for four in a row. We took them to a replay after drawing seven points apiece in the first game. They turned around in the second game and won by five, but we really should have won that game the first day. Uh, well, Jalen went on to win six in a row, as everyone knows, a very famous team. But Pat went on to win a Junior C Hurling Championship in 1984. Clara Nathan Ray repeated history in 1986. After first meeting in 1886, uh, they called it the Centenary Games. Uh, this was played in Eastern Monday down in Athlone, St. Cairns Park in Athlone. And Pat took part in this, with, along with, we brought two Hurling teams down there, Intermediate and Junior Hurling, and he was a part of that that day. Um, next up for Pat was a hugely proud day for him and his family. Uh, he captained Clara in 1991 to our third senior football championship. They went on to meet Thomas Davis in the Leinster final and the last kick of the game, we were very, very unlucky not to win that. We lost by um, two points, but Pat then moved on to his managerial career. He he won two minor A football titles in 1995 and 1996. The players to captain these teams uh, was Terence O'Brien in 1995. He went on to captain the team Pat managed in senior football in 2003. And Scott Prady captained the team in 1996 and he went on to captain Clara in 2009. Clara have only won six senior football championships in our very historic life as a club. And Pat Fanning was directly involved with four of these, two as a player and two as a manager. He was an extremely well motivated person, very tough player and an excellent man marker. And just on behalf of Clara J Club, I'd like to wish Pat and all his family every success, both on and off the field in the future. Thanks a million, lad. Pat Flanagan, that's some resume now. Yeah, look, uh, it's, it's great. Look, you know, when you look back at that, and Porrigy's after mentioning my name, like, you know, it was all about the teams back then. Like, you know, you had seriously amount, serious amount of uh, excellent footballers back then at the time. And as I said to you, we probably should have won more. It's, it's, it's just been a pleasure uh, to be part. You know, when you hear it being said there, when you reach the age that I am at, it, it, it's a pleasure to have been part of uh, so many very, very good teams, you know, being managed by so many good people who put so much effort into it and uh, developed me personally as a person and uh, I really appreciate that. Pat, if you could choose playing and winning a county medal or managing the team that wins the county trophy, what, what would you make? That's not even a question. <laughs> <laughs> If you give me the option, an opportunity now of putting a pair of boots on me and going out and putting the togs on me, it mightn't be a very good looking sight out on the pitch, but I tell you something, I would give it everything to, to play. Honestly, one more one more game would do me. One more, <laughs> one more game. You had a special relationship with Terence O'Brien. Three county medals in Terrell's past, three in a row, I believe. 
Yeah, well, look, I, I suppose the big thing about Terrans, um, and I, it's, it's funny, you, you asked me earlier on about mentality. Um, Terrans was struggling to get in the Clara team and I came back and he, 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 I saw something in Terrence and Terrence had been my captain as a minor. So I knew him a lot back in, in 95. So I realised, like, you know, there was massive potential in Terrence. I met Terrence captain and I suppose I turned a few eyebrows by doing so because he hadn't been playing the year before. And he went on to have a massive year that year. He played really, really well. The year after, we lost the championship. And uh, as in management, you, you get your walking papers, as I did. But uh, I suppose Terrence Pass came over and asked me would I get involved with him. And, and Terrence was going with Denise from, from uh, Denise Gavigan from Terrence Pass. Thought he was finished playing football because he, he was back in the, on the sideline with Clara. So he decided that he'd, he'd throw his lot in with Terrence Pass uh, because he, he genuinely felt that he was finished playing football. Um, but I had other ideas from Terence actually played centre back on two winning two winning teams with Terence Pass, two winning county final teams, and he was man of the match in in, in a county semi final both years. What a, what a turnaround! Yeah, well, look again. It's going back to what I said. It's 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 all about getting into people's heads and making them believe that they can they go that extra yard, and and that's all it is. Very fine lines, but um, you know he was a a serious competitor uh, in my opinion, and a, a very good leader in my opinion. Pat, what's it like going into the dressing room at half time when you know your team has absolutely no hope of winning the game that's out in front of them? Well, I, I think it might have happened to me once, but I don't honestly believe, I still believe you're 10 points down, you can win a championship. You know, we played a, a, a team in the Leinster Championship in 2009, St. Lawrence's, and we're eight points down at half time. You walk into a dressing room and the heads are down. You know, I just said to them, like, you know, if they can score eight points more than us in that half, we can score eight points more than them in the next half. And we went out, and I, I have to say, um, John Reynolds was absolutely phenomenal in that game. He was, John and Thomas was absolutely massive. Uh, and he scored, uh, I don't know how many points John scored himself personally on the day, but we wound up winning the match by, I think it was one point or two points in the end. So, like, you know, as long as there's any sort of sign of hope, um, I would never give up on the team at halftime. You're still in the managing business, Pat? Still in the managing business, yeah. I was asked to uh, go to Parry Pierce's in... Uh, Ross Common uh, in 2018, 17, 18. I was after awfully uh, saying that uh, goodbye to me, so I wasn't sure what to do. And the one thing that drew me to Pierce's was the fact that um, they hadn't won a championship before. That was my challenge to try and see could I get them across the line. Um, we got beaten in the quarter final in, in 18, and uh, we won the championship for the first time in 19. And again, you know, it was a huge eye opener for me, like, you know, to see. Grown men, you know, 50, 60 years of age, crying uh, and telling you how important that first win was. It was just, it was just uh, unbelievable. And I mean, I know I'd won it with Clara and probably didn't understand at the time what it meant to certain people. Like, you know, you had people come up and congratulating you, but you were kind of taking it as just being a congratulations. But like, you know, to see people actually and how much it meant to them to get a first uh, championship was um, was certainly an eye-opener and a big learning thing for me. That's a great satisfaction, of course, and it all revolves around those moments, doesn't it? It absolutely does, like, you know, and it's, you know, you, you, you put yourself out there and uh, you, you give it everything you've got and sometimes you get the reward, sometimes you don't, but, like, I can guarantee you, you know, if Parik spent tomorrow and the next day looking up at all the things that I didn't win, uh, we'd probably be here until Thursday talking about it. <laughs> Pat, you were also a great soccer player, I believe. Was that something you, you might have progressed if you weren't involved so heavily in the GEA? I suppose, like, you come back down through the years, I played in everything. I played everything I could possibly play. I got involved playing soccer and we went down playing um, at Lone Town in a challenge game or youth game. 
and I was asked to play with them. But whether I would have went on to be involved in soccer or not, I don't know. But I suppose at the end of the day, Gaelic football was always the big the big grow for me. Um, I really enjoyed the soccer. I, I loved it. And I used to play with the likes of Tommy O'Hara, Tommy O'Hara, Lauren Merson. He was, you know, he was just unbelievable to play with. Like, you know, his desire to win was was unbelievable. Like, you know, he was... It was so there's so much crack there with him when, you know, when you lost or when you won because you, you know he was going to, he was going to absolutely eat you alive when you lost. Like it was a guarantee with Tommy. Like you know what I mean. But you know he he gave so much to Clara Soccer as well. Like you know it was great to play with the likes of those guys and just see the likes of Ray Horn who was just um, out of this world. Like you know if Ray Horn was born in in England. Ray Horn would probably be playing soccer with an English club back years ago. He was that good. Like you know. But another thing about it, Lloyd, is that you know when I was very very young, I used to go out to the canteen to watch the, the soccer team prepare and they used to play in the GA pitch in Marion Square there just outside of Marion Square so he used to be part of that and the great Paddy Dole and Lord Emerson was another one like you know as I say Hickey Hines was in, was another player there and Johnny Fitzpatrick Lord Emerson and like you know he was another player there um, Dolly McCarthy so it was great to be allowed to be part of that and you took all that with you like you know and you learned so much from it at the time you didn't realise it but when you look back now you got so much from you know, being part of all those individual groups that went on to win and achieve. Fantastic. Right, Pat, we're coming near the end of the podcast. Uh, we're running out of time. We could spend another hour talking about all your successes down to years, but we're going to do a quick fire round, Pat. Oh, dear. Okay, so the first thing that comes into your head, are you ready, Pat? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about that. Right, here we go. Pat Flanagan, what actor would play you in a film? Nicholas Cage. Favourite GEA football manager? Nick Wire. Best thing about Clara? Um, it would be very easy to say to people, but I think the quality and uh, the ability of, of the whole town and the community spirit. First car you ever bought? Ford Escort. Awfully Sligo or Westmeath? Awfully. <laughs> Favourite song? The, the town I love so well. Would no. you rather manage a county to All-Ireland success or a club? Uh, if it was Clara Club. Who's your biggest idol outside of sport? I suppose the one person that I'd like to meet, and it's not something that I generally would have a feeling for, but Richard Gere is a person I'd love to meet. Okay, very good. I kind of look like a Richard Gear by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, the last question in the quickfire round is a million pound question, okay? okay. Now, the beauty about this, because Rabbits have sponsored this, so there's big money up for grabs, <laughs> right? So if you win, you get on to Nigel, he has the check ready for you. But we have a phone a friend as well, Pat, of this. Okay? All right, okay. Okay, a secret phone a friend that's okay. already been on the line. <laughs> so I'm going to hand that to you, Pat. And here is the million pound question, everybody. Which of these is a butterfly, not a moth? Is it A, Mother Shipton, B, Red Underwing, C, Burnished Brass, or D, Speckled Wood? Now remember, Pat, we'll have your phone a friend ready. So. Um, I think I know the answer. Oh. But I don't, but really. I, just, I, think, I think when you're on these shows, you're supposed to say that, aren't you? So, final answer. I, I, the, the final answer is uh, phone that friend, please. Well, your phone a friend is your wife. Oh, mother Linda. God. Okay, so Linda, here we go. Okay, Linda Rock Flanagan, you're on the line. You have 30 seconds to help your husband, Pat, win a million pounds. Here we go. Linda, which of these is a butterfly, not a moth? Is it A, Mother Shipton, B, Red Underwing, C, burnished brass, or D, speckled wood? D, speckled wood. You're going for D, speckled wood? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Linda, thanks very much for that. Bye, guys. See ya, bye-bye.
Well, Paddy, you're going to trust the wife. Well, I'm certainly not going to go against her. That's a guarantee. <laughs> well, Honestly, she's right. Not, not, she's not right. in a lockdown, no way. <laughs> Fair right. play to her. She won you a million pounds. <laughs> Nigel Rabbit, get the checkbook. <laughs> Paddy, have you any advice for a younger generation now growing up? The thing I would say for young people is to um, strive to become the person you really can be. It's not good enough to be as good as somebody else. Be as good as you can be. And, and you know, there'll always be times when you're going to fall. I hate the word fail because there's no such thing in my opinion. Basically, you know, if you don't get over a hurdle, it's a learning thing. Um, you know, when you go to a gym, lied and lift weights, you actually um, damage some muscles. Those you get stronger. You know, when you make mistakes mentally, you are preparing for the future and it does build you up. Take chances to be yourself and you are a unique person. There is nobody uh, on this earth. There's no two people the same on this earth. You are a unique person. and Other people may have strengths that you don't have, but find your strengths, grow on them and live by them and, you know, set your stall out to become that person that you can be. Brilliant, Pat. Very nicely put. Pat, finally, before we finish, I had a little message from... Barry Cowan sent me this evening. He said, please convey my best wishes to Pat Flanagan and acknowledge his ongoing commitment to imparting his vast knowledge and experience as footballer and coach in our community and beyond, not forgetting also his role in work and training fitters. That, that role is especially crucial now in these times and absence, absence of board Namona, where Pat and many others served their time learning and honing their trade. We definitely benefited in Pat's case where he captained and managed senior county champions in Clara amongst many other honours in football and soccer. I enjoy getting to know Pat while playing alongside him and uh, now publicly thank him for his ongoing contribution to community life in Clara and beyond. Thank you very much, Barry. And, and again, like you know, it just goes to, to speak highly of this town, this small little town that we have and the quality that's there. You know, you look at Shane Lowry, you look at uh, Brian Cowan, uh, Taoiseach, um, Shane, an extremely successful uh, player right around the world for us. Um, you know, look at our musicians. Look at the tops of town years ago. It's a well, mad could go place, on and go on and go on. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a very very special town. Let me tell you, an extremely special town. Pat, thank you very much for coming on the podcast this evening. Like, it was a pleasure, um, and I certainly enjoyed every bit of it. And you know, it opened my eyes and started making me think about years gone by. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. Actually, Thomas Flanagan messaged me earlier today. And he summed it up nicely. He said to me that Pat brought a lot of good days to Clara. Although local factories probably wouldn't agree as there were a lot of Mondays missed. <laughs> <laughs> and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I think, Tommy, I think you should add into that. Like, you know, so, uh, yeah, it was great times back then. And, you know, um, 91 in particular, when you look back to it, um, I, I, I know I got up at half nine on a Sunday morning in 1991 for a county final. I went back to bed the following Tuesday morning at five o'clock. So, um, you know, so it was absolutely brilliant and it was great times. So it wouldn't happen unless you're great people and we have great people in Clara. That note, thank you, Pat. Thank you very much, Light. Rabbits Expert Hardware and Furniture Clara. Open Monday to Saturday with everything household, homeware, and DIY all under one roof. Furniture, including beds, sofas, tables, chairs, and occasional furniture. Plus paint, wallpaper, electrical, garden essentials, and loads more. Call into Lyle, Andy Dell, call 05793 31189, find us on Facebook, or go to experthardware.ie and type in Clara to find us today. Rabbits Expert Hardware and Furniture store oratory row clara you just listened to what's the story with lloyd bracken check out all our social channels for info on new episodes oh and thanks for listening on the town